Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallaton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit iBethel.org. Thank you. Good morning. Can I just say that I love you? (laughs) And I love all the people out there in internet world. Bill loves you. We love you. I can't thank you enough. Sorry, I'm trying not to be emotional, but I'm pretty emotional these days. And we just cannot thank you enough for the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been praying for Bill. And um, gosh, we've gotten scriptures that we have been living on and breathing on um, and words and just amazing, amazing things. 19 days we were gone and about five of those were outside of the hospital. And um, I am so grateful for doctors. (laughs) When, When the doctor here said, I'm not touching this, we're sending you to San Francisco, we were like, what? (laughs) But we are so thankful that that's where they sent us. Bill had two procedures and one surgery. And um, the second procedure was done by a specialist in the guy in the world. And obviously that didn't work, so we had to, this, the second option was surgery, and so we had surgery. And the guy that did the surgery was an amazing man. We loved him so much. And he was the best in the world in his area expertise. And so we, you know, we're, we're processing, looking back at this, and, you know, our, our kids... They all ran to San Francisco, and we were there together as a family, and other family members came. And, and uh, you know what was amazing? We, we were just seeing God in everything in all of this. And, you know, somebody, somebody said, well, if, God, if Bill's a healer, then how come God didn't heal him? First of all, I wanted to slap him, <laughs> just to be honest with you. <laughs> And that's a question we can ask God in heaven, but I don't really care. Um, I don't care how he got well. I just care that he is getting well. And somebody get rid of that wasp. (laughs) And so what happened is it was something that was going to be very, very evasive. And when we heard that, I didn't even know what it was. And so I Googled it and I went, oh gosh. And so we just started partnering and agreeing that that is not the way we were going to go. And that when the surgeon got in there, they found out that it was away from a certain part of his body that they could actually just do the the less invasive surgery. And we were so thankful for that. And we just saw God through all of it. It was so cute. We had a, um, I'm sorry, I'm taking a little bit too long. Um, we had a nurse come in one day, and she walked into the room. She goes, Papa Bill, Papa Benny. She comes here with her sister, 
And uh, they, I mean, she was just the cutest little thing. She's a grandma. And she was so cute and so sweet and just really taken back that she was getting to serve us and serve Bill. And the nurses, the doctors, everything was just God-ordained. And um, we will still be processing through this. And we feel like the Lord is going to really download some revelation. Um, And Bill is doing well. Um, He is... You know how he is. He wants to be at everything, and he really wanted to be here today, but he knew that you guys would hug him too much, (laughs) and that would hurt a little bit. So um, he's hoping to be here next week. We'll see how it goes. And I told him, I said, I'm going to be a little bossy. I just want you to know. I am not typically like that, but I'm going to be bossy, so just get used to it because you're going to do this and get it right. So he... (laughs) He is eating what he's supposed to. He's only on soft food right now. Um, his body is trying to, you know, get back into because he hadn't eaten for weeks, and so he's that's all trying to get fixed and all that. And and he's doing good. He has lost forty pounds, and he gained three back. Yeah. Hallelujah! <laughs> we're we're thankful for that. He's still pretty skinny, honey. If you're watching, I think you are. So. But, um, you know, we're like, yay, weight gain, yay, weight gain. (laughs) So anyway, once again, we are so grateful. We're grateful to God. Um, You know, in October, the Lord said, God's got this to me. And he said, it's going to be a wild ride. And we had no idea. You know, I was thinking it was other stuff, and we had no idea. But through all of this, every day, I set my alarm on my clock, my, my phone, and it would go off and it'd say, God's got this. God's got this. And faith-filled prayers. And, and you, you guys, just holding us up, holding him up and covering us. And we saw miracle after miracle. So thank you so much. Like I said, we love you. Just extend your hands to Bill and Benny. Lord, we just bless Benny. We bless Bill and his family. And Lord, we just say supernatural restoration. (laughs) Supernatural healing. We pray for his body just to come into complete and total wholeness. Pray for normal weight gain and no more. And we bless this house with shalom, with peace, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, so be it. So be it. Beautiful. Yes, and now we have a Lou Ingalls video. <laughs> Lou Ingalls was with us in first service. He was awesome. You'll see in a minute. He wants to just thank everybody for the... How many were a part of the Azusa Street? <laughs> oh, wow. It is... So many of our people went. That's amazing. So Lou wanted to thank everybody, so we recorded the first service, and we're going to show you. It's about, I think, about five minutes long. So you ready? are you ready with that? Did I warn you? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I, I wanted to, uh, I was here for Shara's wedding. What a drama. And, uh, but I, uh, I, I asked if I could come to Bethel and just spend a few minutes and thank you for the incredible love that was shown to me uh, at Azusa. Probably the turning 
a major turning point in my life. I want to thank Bill and Benny. I, I thank God that he's doing well. We've been praying for him. But it was really, I go back to 1999 right here. We did a conference in January of 2000, I guess it was. It was called, it was called The Call. You guys didn't even know that I was going to do The Call. And from that point on, it's like Bethel has honored me and loved me and gave finances. I could tell you the stories about Bill and Chris has blessed our family every Christmas. The story is outrageous. And I, I want to thank God for, for you all. Uh, it was when I met Bill in London uh, last year, maybe it was whenever it was, that he told me, I'll run with you for Azusa. That shifted everything for me. I, I realized the synergy of the call moving together with Bethel actually loose something that's impacted the, the world. The whirlwind of this thing is just going around the world. It's so extraordinary. And uh, actually, before the, the call Berkeley in 2014, I actually thought my, my days of gatherings were over. I thought it was done until you guys came into my life. And a few prophetic words. Uh, and the, and the, whirlwind, the whirlwind just began, and the whole trajectory of my life has changed. I want to thank the Lord. I thank you all for Joaquin and Deborah and Jordan for their incredible labor. I can tell you, I can tell you from our, from our staff, I've, we've done this so many times and how difficult it is sometimes, but you were oiled by the Holy Spirit. And it just flowed together in love and patience and kindness. I can tell you, LA was saturated by the School of Supernatural Ministry. I mean, I, I've been hearing of the miracles that happened beforehand and during the day. I can tell you stories. I got 40 pages uh, uh, from God TV of testimonies of people getting healed all over the world. I mean, churches. I just, I just got a report, the guy in West Virginia watched Azusa online, and the next day, the revival broke out in West Virginia with the high schoolers, and hundreds and hundreds of kids are getting saved. A group of, a, a group of 30 natives from Montana came down to, because the, their, their son had fasted 40 days on water. And all of them got touched by God. Many saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. They've gone back to Montana and people are being healed in, in services on the reservation. And 90% of the high school has given their lives to Christ. Gave their life to Christ in Montana. Thank you for the School of Supernatural Ministry. I'll give maybe two more testimonies and then I could just go on and on. But one of the coolest testimonies was that uh, two guys came to Azusa and one got a word of knowledge during the day and it was a phone number to call. Uh, so he gave the phone number to his friend and said, the Lord told me that you're supposed to call this number. <laughs> he called it and it was his dad's number he hasn't seen for 20 years. And they get reconciled on the phone. Two people, were, two people were coming back from Azusa on the plane. 
a lady sitting next to them and she says, who are you guys? There's light radiating from you. They said, we've been to Azusa worshiping Jesus with 70,000 people. She said, I'm a Muslim. I want to give my life to Christ. <laughs> right now, there's a hundred days of evangelism going on afterwards with billboards called Jesus Cares. A Muslim man dials into the 24-hour chat line with counselors and he says, my name is Muhammad. I had a dream that I was giving my life to Jesus. So when I Googled Jesus, the same guy I saw in my dream was the guy that came up on Google. I want to give my life to Jesus. His name is Muhammad. I could go on and on of the healings that are taking place. But most of all, I just want to thank you for your love. And uh, now a whirlwind's taking place. Probably next year, we're gonna to go to North Carolina, maybe Panther Stadium, and we're just gonna strike, strike, believing for Paul Kane's word. We're gonna believe that Billy Graham's mantle's coming on the nation. We're not stopping. We felt like it was just a burst, and really, so much of it came when the synergy of your love joined with us. Bless you. Thank you. I love you, man. Thanks for everything you've done for me. Let's do this, yeah. Thank you. Extend <laughs> your hands to Lou. We're gonna pray for him. He gives some, gives some faith. Yeah, come on, for fasting. I need it. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, Lou and his family came over to my house. This is, they've been over several times, but the one time that he wasn't fasting, they ate everything that didn't move. I was concerned for the dog. <laughs> we don't have one <laughs> and we didn't have one before he came by the way just to be clear so extend your hands Lord we bless what you're doing Lord we thank you for the foundations that are shifting mm. in this nation yes. because of this couple <laughs> Lord we just release on them an earthquake anointing yes. The kind of earthquake anointing that opens prison doors and rolls away stones in yes. graves. In Jesus' name, Lord, that you would just anoint these two with a shifting of the plates anointing. Wow. In the wow. name of Jesus. Yes. And you would do more than they ask and more than they think. Yes. And everybody said, so be it. So be it. Amen. I love you. That's a good word. Awesome. Well, grab a hand. We'll pray for a supernatural sermon. <laughs> Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing in the earth, and then we get to be a part of it. And we pray, God, that you would enlighten us today. Amen. 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 And hopefully you got a girlfriend by now. <laughs> I want to talk to you about poverty, riches, and wealth. You know, Bill um, used to say to us when we were young, I never studied to preach. I only studied to learn. And he said, whatever feeds me, feeds them. So, you know, it's um, sometimes when you have that kind of core value that you only feed people what's feeding you and you don't feed people a message, just a message, you, you pretty much, as long as, uh, if you get something new, then it's great. But if, you, if you're still feasting on the last meal you ate, 
then, um, then you get leftovers. So I shared this message probably about a month and a half ago, and it's about, I've just been having this whole thing go through my heart about wealth, and I really feel like this is, like we're in a season where God wants to prosper. So let me say this, I don't think it's a season God wants to prosper us, I think there's a season in which we're being enlightened to the fact that God wants to prosper us. And so I told the story I'm going to tell you uh, several times, probably one of the most repeated stories that I've shared, it's in I think at least one of my books. But um, when we came to Bethel Church, uh, now almost 19 years ago, we had, uh, we had uh, four businesses at the time, and we had sold our auto parts business to um, our supplier. And so we ended up in this escrow. It was supposed to be a 90-day escrow, and then it turned to four months, and then five months, and six months, and seven months. Well, we had already um, committed to coming to Bethel and starting a school of ministry. So we came to Bethel Church, and uh, now when we got here, I think we were in the 16th month of the escrow. And the escrow just kept going on and on and on. And of course, when we came, Bethel was you know, in not in good shape financially, and Bill said, you know, I can't, I can't pay you until we start the school ministry. You know, then you can take an income from the school ministry. So um, we thought, well, that's no problem. We, we've sold our business, and we'll, we'll just take the money from our business. We were supposed to have about a couple hundred thousand. Kathy's pretty frugal, so we probably live on that for about 28 years. And uh, so we, we, you know, we thought, that's no problem. That's, you know, we're, we're excited about that. When we, when we get here, I think it was about the first or second month that we were here, um, we, uh, one of my guys called me, and the short story is that the company, our company, our supplier, our, we were an auto parts store. The supplier that was supplying us auto parts was the, also the entity that was buying us. They went bankrupt the second month we were here. Now, if you want to know what it feel like, feels like, it's a little bit like having a dairy and having no cows. Now, suddenly, we don't just have no buyer, we have no parts. And, um, and some, uh, you know, with, very quickly, we figured out that we were in big trouble. We owed $1.8 million at that point. And so we, um, we went into Bill's office, I went into Bill's office, and, I, and we owed 122 suppliers. It was very stressful. And we'd, we'd only been here for two months. And I went into Bill's office and I said, you know, we, we, we need to leave. I mean, we, you know, we're, gonna, we're obviously going to go bankrupt. Some of the suppliers we owe are right in Reading. I can't even imagine just, you know, being up teaching and having some people that I owe money to in the congregation. I just, just don't feel like I can do that. And, you know, Bill was very, obviously very comforting. And, and I said, I, you know, we, we have a board meeting this week. Bill said, you know, come and talk to the board. So I came and... Kathy and I, I don't remember if Kathy was with me, actually, I think with myself. I came to the board meeting, and, and um, I shared the story in much more detail than obviously here. I wanted them to know everything, all the mistakes we'd made, everything. I didn't want it, them to be, I didn't want there to be any secrets that they find out from somebody else. So I took about an hour, hour and a half to explain all the detail, and when I got all done, I said, you know, Kathy and I will be leaving, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to claim bankruptcy and we're going to go back in the business world and try to restore our life because not only did they, not only did we lose our businesses, but they were personally guaranteed, so we lost our house. We lost everything but our furniture and our two cars. And so, uh, yeah, one day you're doing fine, the next day you're doing time. <laughs> And so it was a very emotional time uh, in that board meeting, and one of the oldest elders, I think at the time he'd been there 32 years, he stood up and he said, uh, we're a family. 
And when things go wrong in a family, we don't leave. We stay together. So he said, we don't want you to leave. And then he said, and I would like you to not go bankrupt for six months. And I said to him, I remember as clearly as day, this, 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 this 15 minutes part of this board meeting, I said, I have no faith for that. I owe $1.8 million. He said, well, will you trust my faith? That's what he said. You ever have that place in your life where you, you, you have no faith for your own situation? Then you just have to have people around that do. And I honestly was strictly out of, mostly obligation, to be honest, if I was going to be honest in that moment. My motivation was more obligation. I said, he said, would you trust me for six months? Would you trust us, he said, for six months? Because they were all chimed in and, yes, trust us. And he said, at the end of six months, if God doesn't work this out, then you, then you go ahead and go bankrupt and just stay with us. So I said, okay. So they, I said, I, I will do that. In honor of you, I will do that. They prayed for me. Within, I think, a month, 900,000 of it was forgiven. <laughs> okay. Still owe 900, but we're getting there. About, uh, about, I think it was about three months later, I owed, um, actually we owed like 300 and something thousand on a loan, but it, when they, they, stole, they took our house, and when it was all done, we still owed them like 287,000. And they agreed to take $11,000 and call it paid in full. So within the first six months, I think, we paid off, we not paid off, we got forgiven 1.2 million. Very tough time in our lives, you can imagine, very stressful time. And, uh, and we needed, interesting fact, we needed 32 students. We figured we could live on $2,000, 1000 for Kathy and 1000 for myself. So we worked nine or almost 10 months, I think, for free. And we thought, well, when school ministry starts with the tuition, she could get 1000 I can get 1000 and we can live on that. Because we were literally people giving us groceries and buying us gas. It was that situation. It was a very tough situation. And so uh, the day before school ministry started, after working 10 months to start the school, we had 18 students. The day school started, we had 37. Wow. Tough times. Anybody ever been through a tough time in your life? <laughs> and so in the midst of this, I think we were in about, I don't know, it, was, it, was all, it all runs together for me, but I think we were in about month three. Things were really tight. We were really struggling. In between teaching in the school, I would lay on the floor and cry. I was, and then I would counsel people. That was always interesting. <laughs> you ever look back at a season, you're like, how the heck did we do that? I have no idea how we did that, but... And then people come in and tell you, you know, I mean, you're counseling. They're telling you their problems. I'm like, you think you got problems. <laughs> Let me tell you my story. That's why you're in here. <laughs> so... Um, I ran into a prayer meeting. We were, we, I think we used to do prayer meetings. I think it was up at the hospitality room. And we used to do prayer meetings there. And I forget what night it was. I'm sorry. But whatever night it was, Friday nights or something. And uh, I ran up the prayer meeting. I was late as usual. And, uh, and Bill hands me an envelope. Well, it looks like a letter folded in half. And so, and so I said, thank you. I put it in my pocket. And he says, oh, you need to look at it. You need to look at the letter. So I pull it out, and it, it, what looked like a letter was a business check. You know how they have two parts? It was folded in half. And I opened it up, and it's, it was a check for $3,000. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're hurting that bad, $3,000, I 
I'm, I'm thinking we could eat two months on this, you know? And I started shouting. I ruined the whole prayer meeting. <laughs> so how stupid. I'm like, Someone gave me $3,000. You know, poor Bill. I just feel so bad for Bill. <laughs> How he's done it all these years, you know. And he goes, look again. And I looked down and it was $30,000. Someone gave us $30,000. Oh my God, I almost exploded all over the walls in the place. I was just, I thought my skin was going to come off. I was screaming and I wrecked a perfectly good prayer. I mean, I don't know what we prayed about that night. And Bill just stood by and laughed. He was just, he was just Bill, what Bill does, you know, he's so, so, um, so appreciative. And that, that was beautiful. And so I, I saw the name on the check. I didn't, I never, didn't know that. Obviously we were much smaller than we knew most people. I didn't know that guy. And, and um, I'll just call him John. So uh, the short story is, is that John ha had received an inheritance just a month or so before that. And he had a dream, and in the dream, he, the Lord told him in the dream to give us a check for $30,000 out of his inheritance. So he gave us a check, and we had the money to buy him a really nice card. <laughs> and then this craziest thing happened. Do you ever, I don't know if, if many people have been through this, but have you ever been doing something weird that you don't know is weird? I mean, everybody else knows it's weird, but you don't know it's weird? And so we were, we were, you know, so I, I didn't know it, but if John would come in that door, I would come in the other one. And I would just did this for months. Months went by, like at least six months. And then one day, we didn't have a second service, so Bill was preaching this Sunday. And, you know, so, sometimes we'd go along, and Bill was like, you know, in conclusion, like three conclusions. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad. So finally, I'm like, I got to go. So I just ran out the door, those double doors, and I ran into the bathroom, had waited way too long, and I get in the bathroom, and John has his back to me. He's in the bathroom. And I, and I run out of the bathroom, <laughs> and I run all the way around the building. <laughs> and I have this thought, I think there's something wrong with me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems obvious, but, you know. And I, and I, I know, sometimes adversity introduces a man to himself. So I get home that day, and as you can imagine, I'm like, I, I have no idea what's wrong with me, and I've just realized that I had been doing this for months. And so I go to bed that night, I can't sleep, and I, I don't remember what time it was, but I remember this part, the sun was coming up in the morning, and I'd laid there all night. And then I had this thought, well, maybe I should pray about it. <laughs> I, mean, I, know, I get paid to pray, and I didn't think about it. You ever have a problem, it's like you get so into it, you actually can't see the answer? And so I pray, I say, God, I said, I think there's something wrong with me. He says, uh-huh. I said, do you know what it is? <laughs> you know you're lost when you don't even know if the God of the universe knows what's wrong with you. I said, do you know what it is? He said, uh-huh. I said, will you tell me? And he said, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? I laid there for 15 minutes. I didn't know if I wanted to know. <laughs> Denial was a beautiful thing. You know, you know, I was unconsciously ignorant. I didn't know that I didn't know. And then when I ran into John in the bathroom, I was consciously ignorant. I knew I didn't know. And you tend to fear what you don't understand. So I finally laid there for, I don't remember how long, it seemed like a long time, and I finally said, I want to know, and he said, here's the problem, John gave you $30,000. I said, well, I know that. He said, well, the problem is you don't love yourself $30,000 worth. 
And you're afraid that if John, if you build a relationship with John, if John gets to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money. It was literally a wreck. I said, God, what do I do? He said, why don't you try this? Why don't you love you like I love you? And that was the beginning. Uh, out, of that, you know, out of that season came the Supernatural Ways of Royalty book and all this, my journey. And I, I, I learned so much in that season. I'm still learning, actually. It's like, I think truth is like an onion. just keeps peeling off layers. And I started to, I, I, was, I was the beginning of me realizing that, you know, if you don't love you, it's amazing how you view the world. You know, you ever look through your windshield and you see a bug on it? You get home and wash the outside of the windshield and realize it's on the inside? Life's like that. Sometimes you're looking out the windshield and you think, oh, everybody's getting bugs on my windshield. And then you wash the outside and you realize now the bug's on the inside. See, the crazy thing is, I, I, you, know, I, you know my story, I grew up with two stepfathers who didn't like me. Honestly, I think my second stepfather's still with me now and he, he just absolutely adores me. He tells me all the time, told me two years ago, standing in my office at five o'clock in the morning, he said, he was just weeping. I said, well, Dad, are you all right? I thought he was having a senior moment. He said, you're the most amazing man I've ever known in my entire life. He repeated it again and then turned around and walked out. So I think, I don't think they didn't like me. I just think they didn't like them. But the crazy thing is, I grew up in this house where my mother loved me. My mother still loves me. She's, she turns 80 this month. My mother still loves me. But when I got saved, I got saved in the Jesus movement, which was amazing it was amazing, but our theology sucked. <laughs> and I fit right in because in the Jesus movement, it was still about sacrifice and about not liking you. So I went from a, my, my father's not liking me into a culture where you weren't supposed to be liked. You weren't supposed to like yourself. And I fit right in really good with that. And then four years later, I met Bill Johnson, who liked himself. And I began to have a revelation. And where I'm going is this, you know. I think the, I really believe that God wants to bless us. You know, it's so crazy. When I say that in here, in here, like home, I still feel like I almost want to apologize for saying that. And I really believe that God wants us to be wealthy. Now, when I say wealthy, I don't mean rich. I don't mean you're going to have a lot of money. I mean wealthy. Like healthy, whole, happy. And I just want to talk to you about it for a few minutes. You know, when God exposes us to people who have more than we do, it's not to provoke us to jealousy, but to expose us to to ex but to expose us to what's possible because you can't become what you haven't seen or heard. But our response determines whether we're postured for increase or relegated to lack. In other words, when God exposes you to something more, you decide by your posture whether you're going to take it as, oh, that guy's got more, oh, you know, he probably, you know, it's like we make up stories about people that we don't even know. Oh, I know how they got their wealth, da, 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 da. And the truth is, is that 
You tend to reject people that have more than you have if you don't realize that when God exposes you to people that have more than you have, it's not to make you jealous, it's to expose you to what's possible. Because how many know God's not a respecter of persons, so if he gave it to them, he'll do it for you. This, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when, you, when God exposes you, if, you have a, you know, if your family sucks and he exposes you to a happy family, it's not so that you'll be jealous of them, it's so that you can be exposed to what it could be. When God exposes you, if you're, if you're in poverty and you see somebody who has more than enough and they're generous and they have things to give and they have nice things, when God exposes you to it, it's not so you'll be jealous, but so you'll see what's possible because you can't become what you haven't seen or heard. And what I'm getting at is this, is that when we see people that have things that we want, whether it's a great relationship or great relationship with their kids or, or, or cars or what, or, you know, things, and we look at them and we build a case against them, how many understand that it takes away the highway of faith that you need to actually receive what it is God exposed you to so that you can actually have it? Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. You can't teach on wealth without this verse. Facebook people, this is a favorite verse. I don't know what it is about Facebook. Like, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You know, Twitter people are silent. Instagram people, they just don't care. Facebook people, they're just fixing everything. If you, if you misspell a word, they're like, you misspelled the word. Literally, people will send me, they'll send me the revised version like, you should have put a comma there. I do it on my phone in traffic when my wife's driving. First Timothy 6.10, I bet you can guess what this verse is even if you don't know address as well, right? For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and, been pierced, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Every time, uh, yes, every time I have taught on this publicly, if it gets streamed, these verses end up on my Facebook page. So I thought, well, might as well start with them. I'd like to make just a couple of points. The first one is, it's the love of money, which typically gets left out. It's not money, it's the love of money. How many know you can't serve two masters? Either you hate the one and love the other, or you hold the one and, and despise the other. So you can't serve God and money. So it's the love of money, and by the way, it says is the root of all sorts of evil. It's not the root of all evil. It's the root of certain kinds of evil. How many know pornography is the root of other kinds of evil? Jealousy is the root of other kinds of evil. What I'm getting at is money is not the root of every kind of evil, the love of money. Are you with me? Good word, Chris. Thank you for that. Okay. <laughs> Verse 17. So this is still the same chapter. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy about his wealthy people. No, I'm sorry. The sixth chapter happened to be about his wealthy people. He's Timothy's in Ephesus, the San Francisco of his day, both economically and obviously morally. And so he's telling Timothy what to do with the rich people, okay? So verse 17 is the instruction to young Timothy about what to do with the wealthy people that are in his congregation. And here's what he said. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Listen to this who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Everybody say, to enjoy. Okay, so obviously this speaks to all of us, but this, this chapter, specifically these verses, were specifically written to the wealthy people. And he said, tell the wealthy people to not trust in riches. How many know the poor people need that too? Tell the wealthy people to not trust in riches, 
but that God gave them things. This is the wealthy people who have things so that they can enjoy them. That's the paradigm shift right there. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, stowing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now, the only point I want to make that I haven't made already in this chapter is this. Did you notice that Paul did not tell Timothy, tell them to sell everything, give it to the poor? So the one time Jesus told a rich man to sell everything, give it to the poor, that becomes the foundation for all the poor people who want to stay poor to stay poor. And if you want to stay poor, then tattoo that thing on, you know, on your forehead and read it every morning. But Jesus did not tell everybody to sell everything, give it to the poor. And again, I'd just like to make the point that if you have money, that's one thing. If money has you, that's another. It's a good word, Chris. Thank you for that. Okay. I'm going to skip forward and just uh, and share a little bit about wealth. You know, how many know that what you have doesn't determine how, how spiritual you are? Your bank account doesn't determine how spiritual you are. What you own does not determine what kind of relationship you have with God, unless it does. You're like, oh my God. I know, people are streaming. You should see what they're saying. (laughs) Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. I'm just going to give you a few. Write them down. We're going to go fast. Now, Abraham was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold. So Peter and John, they said to the man at the gate, beautiful, you know, silver and gold, have we none? We are pastors. <laughs> but just because Peter and John didn't have silver and gold doesn't mean that other righteous people didn't. And the guy who's called the father of faith had silver and gold and animals. We have animals. We have no silver and gold. But anyway, let's go on. <laughs> Genesis 26:12. Now Isaac sowed in the land. I love this verse. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Who blessed him? The Lord. Okay, directly connected the next verse to the Lord blessed him, right? And the man became rich. And he continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. And the man became rich. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich. And he continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. Okay, here's what I'm getting at. Isaac's stuff was directly related to his relationship with God. Abraham's stuff was directly related to his relationship with God. I'm saying, you're saying, if you don't have stuff, you're not spiritual. No, I'm not saying that you're spiritual if you have stuff. I'm not saying you're spiritual if you don't have stuff. I'm simply saying that sometimes people's stuff is directly related to the relationship with God. Listen, some people who drive a yellow Corvette don't have a great relationship with their wife. But my wife gave me a yellow Corvette for our 40th anniversary. So that Corvette is a sign that I have a great wife. (laughs) Somebody else might be driving a yellow Corvette or a blue one or a purple one or a red one because they're selfish. I'm driving one because my wife isn't. (laughs) Okay. Second Chronicles chapter one, verse 11. This is Solomon. God has meet Solomon in a dream. And in a dream, God says to Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. In the dream, Solomon's out. You understand? Unconscious, in a dream. And God said, in the dream, what do you want? 
And Solomon said, I'll take some wisdom. You're giving me these great people. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to lead them. I'm like a little child. I'd like some insight and some wisdom. And here's God's answer. And God said to Solomon, because you, have not, because you had this in your mind, it did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those you hate, or have not asked for long life, but you've asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people, whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. I'll also grant you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you have ever possessed, nor were those kings who come after you. How many understand Solomon's stuff had everything to do with who he served? I know the tension in the room's growing. I'm simply saying, listen, I understand there's more verses in the Bible than that. I understand there's people who didn't have money in the Bible. I'm simply trying to move us like to the center. Like it's okay to be blessed. It's okay. It's okay to have stuff as long as the stuff doesn't have you. Okay, it's going to get worse. Here we go. Deuteronomy 8.18. This is, this is God speaking through Moses, and Moses has come down from the mountain, and God said, tell my people this. But you shall remember the Lord, chapter 8, verse 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth. That's a good verse. But here's the rest of it. That he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers to this day. God says, listen, here's what I want you to tell the people. I'm giving them power to make wealth. Do you know why? So I can confirm my covenant, which I made to their fathers. He's saying their wealth, their riches, their stuff will speak of the covenant I have with their forefathers. Some of you are like, your faces, you should see them. Some of you are like. Isaiah 60, verse 4. This is uh, the uh, chapter, Arise and Shine for Your Light is Come. You know that chapter? Verse 4 says, Lift up your eyes round about you and see. They all gather to you. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in arms. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of nations will come to you. Verse 10, foreigners will build up your walls and kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have compassion on you. Listen to verse 11. And your gates will be opened continually. They will not be closed day or night. What for? So that men may bring to you the wealth of nations with kings leading their procession. It's interesting to me that, you know, people, they write things to me like nasty stuff when I teach this stuff. It's like, God doesn't want us to be, he doesn't want us to be wealthy. But then they go borrow $300,000 to build a house or buy a house. And I, would any of those people who write those kind of letters to me on Facebook, would they be mad if the bank wrote them and said, we want to forgive your house debt? Would it be okay for them to pray, God, forgive my house debt? And what I'm getting at is this. It's like we have this adversity to wealth, but I think it's actually a self-esteem issue. 
I actually think the struggle is, is that we still see ourselves as little people who are just barely in the kingdom, who are sinners just, you know, hoping that God will, you know, kind of like, I know, laugh when I'm ready. I mean, we just think God's just tolerating us. Like, you know, we're okay. We got in. Thank you so much. We don't deserve, we're little worms. And I'm just glad I'm here. And then someone drives in in a yellow Corvette. You're like, that can't be real. What's wrong with you, man? You crazy? You were supposed to be driving a broken car. And I don't care if you have stuff. And you know, I, I've been poor and I've been, and I've been rich. You know, I, I like rich better because at least you can go shopping when you're miserable. But I, this is some of the things I've learned. I learned that you will not love, let someone love you more than you love yourself. And when someone loves you more than you love yourself, you'll build a case against them. You'll sabotage every relationship that you have in which people love you more than you love you. You know how I know that? I have a PhD in sabotage. I spent all my years, when I had that encounter with God, Kathy could tell you, when I had that encounter with God in the bedroom, it opened the door to my mind, a, a, a room that I had never seen in my mind. It was, stuff was happening in that room, but I wasn't managing it. And that stuff looked like I was building cases. I had case files. I used my prophetic gift to find things wrong in people, which is why we have a positive prophetic ministry now, because I know what the negative looks like. And people write me all the time, You're, you can't have prophetic ministry that finds golden people. How about all the bad verses? I did bad verses for 25 years. I can do the good ones now and still have a balanced ministry. I used my prophetic ministry to find crap in people's life. I kept a file on it. You know why? Because the more I wanted someone to love me, the more I feared they wouldn't. And the more I feared they wouldn't, the more things I found against them. So when they rejected me, it didn't matter because I already rejected them. I had rejected everybody who I really wanted to love me. And I'm telling you that money, you can't separate people who are like, well, don't, you know, don't preach on money. You cannot preach on this. That's just stupid. You can't, you know, we just sang the song, God doesn't love in pieces or whatever, or love's coming to pieces. Something about pieces. You can't. Yeah, something about the pieces. I just know that you don't do life like that. You just do life. People are like, don't bring your religion in here. I can't help but bring me where I go. I can't separate me from any part of me. So what I'm getting at is this, is that what's happening with your money is directly related to how you feel about you. You mean I'm broke because I have a low self-esteem? I don't know, maybe. But maybe you just need to ask God about it. Because I think that, you know, Jesus taught more about, more parables about money than anything else in the Bible. And I'm simply saying, your money is just a manifestation of your labor. And how you deal with money, Jesus said, you know, if you're not good with unrighteous mammon, who's going to give you true riches? My point is simple. It's like, listen, how you feel about you has everything to do with how you give and receive. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I mean, I've always been a good giver. And I figured out that night in the bedroom that sometimes my generosity, something that looked really like great generosity, was actually about buying people's favor. It didn't have anything to do with great Chris. It had to do with broken Chris. 
And I could give tons of money away and not receive anything back. Because I didn't like me. And I'm telling you that some of the sacrifice, and by the way, I believe in sacrifice, but some of the demeaning sacrifice culture of Christians is not at all about the sufferings of Christ. It's about low self-esteem and broken identity. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of Johns who like to give us money and we would, we're all like, oh, no, don't do that. And we don't actually like people to give. Good. Have you ever had someone talk to you and they're like, man, that was so amazing what you did. And it's like, you know, 30 seconds is about good. I don't know if this happens to you. A gentleman walked up in first service and he said, he grabbed me, he looked me in the eyes and he said, you have changed my life. I'm like, thank you. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. And he went on for five minutes. <laughs> Sweat was pouring off my head. I, I, I'm like, there's still some pauper in there. Like, I'm not that good. <laughs> or sometimes we go places and they introduce us. When they get done introducing us, I don't even know who's coming to the podium. I'm like, I thought I was speaking next. <laughs> I'm saying these are the things that resist. <sighs> these are the things that resist wealth. God wants to give us wealth. Some of it relates to money, but it all relates to wholeness. Yeah. It relates to wholeness. He wants us to have whole relationships. And you know, it's like, it's like, have you ever been in a, in a relationship like you have a, a close friend? I see people do this all the time. It's like, I have a friend, and when my friend goes to talk to somebody else, I make build cases against the person they talk to. Because I'm like, I'm afraid that my friend will like them and then not like me. And prophetic people do this crazy thing. They're like, you know, I, I prophesy to some important person, and then and my friend says, well, I have a word for him too. But it's like, I'll carry the word. I don't want you to build a relationship with them because they're going to think you're a better prophet than they won't like me. And we have these exclusive relationships because we're broken, not because we're healthy. That's a poverty mentality. Yes, it relates to money, but it relates to friendships. It relates to everything. It's like these exclusive relationships, these little cliques. Some of them are healthy. Of course, you can only have so many friends. We all know that. But some of them, the way that we're jealous of other people, oh, so-and-so, we see so-and-so talking to one of our friends, and when they come back, we're like, oh, yeah, that person, be careful about that person. And what's really, they really need to be careful of is us. Because we are so fearful that they're going to like someone more than they like us. And it's so dysfunctional and broken. And I'm saying, you want the gates to be open continually so people can bring wealth to you day and night? Then you've got to stop sabotaging your own prosperity. When you see somebody that has something that you would like, you don't have to lust for it. You could just ask for it. Not them, God. And I'm not... Oh, gosh. That was a retake. I'd like to see some of you. I'd like to have your wife. I'm like, no, that's my wife. I'm sorry, get your own. I'm not talking about the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. I'm not talking about those things. I'm saying, I'm trying to give you some, a clue that when Jesus brings somebody in your life that has something you've been desiring, it's so that you'll know that he'll do the same for you if you'll just be patient and, and posture yourself in a non-jealous way so that you have faith for your victory and their victory is not a sign that God only has a little bit. Oh, God bless them. Oh, gosh, that's some of the gold I was supposed to get. 
don't worry, he'll just speak and make some more. It's not a problem. He has more than enough. You're living with a wealthy father who has more than enough. When he gives something to Bill, he's got more for you. Bill's victory isn't, oh no, now, now the father's got, oh, the father paid attention to him. I thought, and listen, he multitasks. It's the feminine side of God. He can be hugging Bill and hug you too. He can love you all. Would you stand? We're out of time. I need to just bless you. We're just going to crash this plane right into the ground. Put your hand on your heart. See, I am loved by God. I mean, He loves me ridiculously. He wants me to prosper and be in good health. Even as my soul prospers. He's the God of more than enough. He wants to give me more than I can ask and more than I can think. And I think of a lot. And he wants to do more than that. I don't have to be jealous of anybody who has more. Because if he did it for someone else and he put it in my heart, he'll do it for me too. There's plenty to go around. I live in a wealthy kingdom. Streets paved with gold. The God of abundance. That's my daddy. And I receive that for myself and for my children and for my friends and for my children's children. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast is now being translated in several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.